Welcome to the Talking Balls podcast. Today I'm joined by Harry Brooks of Ramworld Academy. Harry, how are you? I'm really good, mate. Thank you for having me on. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. Um, how are you coping during the epidemic that we find ourselves in at the moment? Yeah, I'm not too bad. To be honest, I've been surprisingly busy. So, you know, last week we had a, a big online global fundraising event for charity called Stay Life Connect. That, uh, that certainly kept me busy for for a good week and you know, I'm still doing stuff to, to help raise money for charity with the live auction page and the donations page. Um, and we've got a few other different projects that are going on. We have a, we have a home training page for our players. We've been keeping in touch with the clubs themselves and you know the players we work with. Uh, we've started our own podcast as well. So yeah, surprisingly busy, believe it or not. Um, you know, different projects on the go, so it's all good. It's awesome. You mentioned podcasts, so I kept a few podcasts. I'll leave a link so uh, people can access that. I've I've caught up with all three episodes so far, and I must say that it is a really enjoyable podcast. It makes you think about football in a way that sometimes you wouldn't normally. It scratches beneath the surface a lot more in depth. And obviously with you and Richard from Round World, you've a lot more knowledge of football than the likes of me. So I would recommend that anyone that is interested in football, especially the tactical side and uh that sort of area would uh, check out the Coaches View podcast. But, um, for those of you that may not be aware of Round World and the work you do, would you like to give the listeners a brief explanation? Yes, sure. So, Round World Academy is an independent football academy that looks to bridge the gap between grassroots football and professional football. Richard is the director. I've been um, one of the, the coaches there for, and the analysts for quite a few years now, around coming up to four years, I believe. Um, and yeah, we look to bridge the gap between grassroots and professional football. So we do this in a variety of ways. We're, we're, we're an elite training environment. We look, we push around six to eight players a year into professional clubs to get signed. Um, we run groups from you know, the, as young as six up to, to, to 16 in terms of group training. Uh, we also do one-to-one training with players of all ages. So there's different facets of that. Uh, we regularly play fixtures against professional academies. So you know, in one-off, uh, in one-off games and um, tournament invites home and abroad. So over the last few years, we've played the likes of Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Liverpool, and many, many more. So that's basically what it is. A lot of people ask, you know, do we are we like a Sunday league team? We're not, to be honest. Um, we don't have a, a regular standard league program. We don't enter leagues, um, so we don't play every single week in the Sunday league. We are a training environment, and we organised games to play against professional academies when we believe the age group is ready. So, you know, especially for players that wants to push on, needs extra work, and we help them, you know, achieve their goals, whatever that might be. Just mentioned um, playing likes of Bayern Munich, which for an independent football academy is, is unprecedented, really, to, to to be able to have them opportunities for, for an academy which isn't assigned to a professional club is is fantastic really and I think it's a credit to everyone at Round World uh, if I'm honest but um, what initially made you want to become a football coach because I know a lot of people when they get into football when they're younger um, I think the base platform is a lot of people think oh, I, w- I want to be a footballer because um, that's the dream really but when did you start to think of coaching as a more feasible career option? Yeah, it's probably the question I get asked most um, because obviously working, you know, I'm very lucky to be able to work with these clubs and 
professional players and where I wasn't a professional player myself. Um, a lot of people are quite interested in my journey. So my dream was to become a professional footballer for like a lot of young kids. Um, I guess I never quite believed I was going to do it. So I've been coaching really um, since the age of 15. I actually studied sports journalism at university. That was initially mm-hmm. you know, my backup dream to being a footballer. Um, I was very lucky. I went and had work experience for like the Daily Mail, the Independent. Obviously, studied sports journalism at university, but I realised sort of maybe a few weeks while I was at university that I didn't really want sports journalism to be my full time job. But I was all, I've been part time coaching since 15 years old, and I started off at you know um, started off small, doing the odd off school club at primary schools, um, built up you know more and more sessions at different primary schools, you know, coaching football. Um, nothing major, quite standard, but um, you know, just getting my experience. And then over the years, I, I had more roles. I became sort of coach leaders and or head coach rather at, at an organisation called Soccer Revolution. Um, that I've been a part of since I was playing football. Then I coached my own Sunday league team around the age of 18. Um, and I've just got experience like that, but I've always wanted, to, you know, I realised I wanted to be a full-time coach, but I wanted it to be involved with professional football. So you know, I've always had an eye for the game, I believe, and um, a passion for the game, like a lot of people have. And um, I have a very good friend of mine who used to be an agent, and he knew that I used to, that I kept, you know, he knows that I analyse football in, in microscopic detail. So when I was about 21 years old, he got me to go and watch um, Aston Villa player in the Chelsea under 18 game versus Villa at Cobham. Um, I went there as an analyst or, uh, and I provided um, a full report on the player and some other players for his agency. Um, and I sent it off, and the agency said it was you know, one of the best reports I've ever seen. It would be whatever they'd expect from a Premier League scout. So that just gave me the hunger even more. And then while I was coaching you know, at, um, you know, my, my local Sunday League team, there's a colleague I had that I knew had, had, had a, role, a role at an organisation called Ground World Academy. And he said, if I've got any you know, really standout players or players that are looking to push on, I should send them there for extra training. And you always hear about these you know, different organisations and you think, well, okay, well, you know, are they any good? And, um, but, you know, I knew I trusted my mate. Um, he's a very good coach himself, Paul Khalil. Um, and I went down to a training session to check out myself. And I just couldn't believe the the level of intensity, the level of quality in the environment that Round World provided for its players. So I, I, um, I had a, a Wednesday session myself and I, I basically stopped it just by watching Round World train for free for, for about a month. Then I took my players down there. Um, I got speaking to Richard. This is all when I was about 21. And then from then on, you know, I just started doing more sessions for Round, for Round World. And before you know it, um, I'm now sort of like a, Four years later, full time employed by Round World and have other projects on the go, like, you know, the Round World Royals, which is really exciting. So that's how I've got into it, basically. It's just through, you know, being willing to, to put myself out there, you know, earn my badges, as it were, get my experience and eventually work my way to a stage where I can cope against sides like Bayern Munich and, you know, players that are looking to push on as, as well as professionals and academy players for the Round World Royals, which is a project myself and Richard do together. So, you know, I work for Richard for Round World Academy, but myself and him are, are joint directors in the Round World Royals, which is, um, you know, a training environment um, or a development environment, I should say, 
four players that are professionals or already at academies and need to do extra work to, to give themselves the best opportunity of putting on. Plus, um, you mentioned a lot of this in a, a blog that you've recently started and as a, as a sports journalism student, you can sort of see that you've got a knack for writing and, and that sort of field. Um, in your blog, you did mention early on at Round the World that you found yourself guilty of overcoaching. Um, what, what do you put that down to? Do you think it's maybe that because you were so overwhelmed by um, the professionalism of Round the World, do you think that maybe you tried too hard to impress Richard and other yes. members of staff? Yeah, probably. There's, there's, there's lots of different types of coaching, obviously. There's not one single type of coaching. There's not one way to coach. And I've always, you know, I've, I've always thought I've been quite knowledgeable of the game. And joining around the world, I saw how good the environment was. And, you know, instantly, when I was young as well, myself, um, you know, it was my first role coaching for, you know, an establishment like that, the woodwork with, you know, professional football clubs. It was, it was kind of my dream to, to, to become full-time in that kind of world and environment. So it was my first role doing that. And I would kind of want to sort of prove myself and show show the players and show Richard, you know, how much I knew and what I could do. And then, so, you know, you would, I would sometimes during the sessions, um, you know, butt in too much and talk for too long, you know, telling them different instructions. And, and you realise, you know, as you go on that, you know, you just work, you get better with experience and learning from the likes of Richard and and you know I realised you know quite quickly actually that you know it's certainly not about you as a coach it's always about the player I knew that already but it would be a case of where I would overcoach and overdo it to to prove what I know um, and thinking it was helping the players and and you realise that a lot of the time less is more so that was probably the first major lesson I learned with regards to being a, a coach at Round World it's it's that you know that it's not about you. It's always about the player, and you know sometimes less is more. Um, you know, it's, it's not a battle to show how much you know to anyone. You don't have to prove yourself. It's it's all about getting the best out of your players, however that is done. Reading your blog, you do get the sense that a lot of your journey so far you put down to hard work, and people say within certain industries that it's all about networking and it's who you know rather than what you know. But of course, yeah. You work, I got the impression personally that you worked so hard in your first stage of coaching. And like you said, with the likes of Khalil and Richard, you managed to build up a good network. I think it's fair to say one of your more significant moments in your early life around the world was the Bremen Cup, if I'm correct. Yes, yes, yeah. What an incredible experience that was. Would you like to um, explain to the listeners um, what the Bremen Cup is and how you experience this as a tournament? Uh, helped your personal yeah. development? Yeah, of course. So, Round World isn't just a football academy. Richard is director, but Round World is the bigger thing. Um, so, you know, round, uh, the football academy is like a branch of Round World um, that Richard is the director of. But basically, over the years, Richard has built up an incredible amount of contacts, very close, um, and works with, you know, daily in terms of business um, I'm now working with as well. I won't put their names in there. I'm sure they wouldn't mind, but, you know, um, but then um, it's led to you know having contacts that not many people have, and um, yeah, the Bremen Cup was an international academy tournament that was held in Germany, um, and 
Roundworld got invited to, which is it's an incredible achievement because it's a very it's a very um, it's a very elite it's an elite tournament for academy teams um, home and abroad, and there are Premier League academies that don't get invited to that. So for Roundworld, an independent academy from London to be invited to elite academy tournament in Germany is quite impressive when Premier League teams don't. Yeah, fantastic so achievement, isn't it, for yeah, it considering? It's three years of building up contacts from the like Richard building up contacts and doing amazing work, um, you know, contacting with the biggest people of the game, um, professional and academy level. And yet it, it enables Roundworld to get invited to tournaments like this. So you know, I was very lucky to be involved, um, be, you know, one of the coaches at the tournament. Um, it was a three day tournament in Germany. Um, the likes of Bayern Munich were, um, were part of it, obviously ourselves. Tottenham Hotspur went, Arsenal went, FC Porto, um, other big German sides like Schalke, Cologne, um, and other Euro foreign teams like um, Slova Bratislava, Slavia Prague. Um, no, it was an incredible tournament. I think 24 teams were involved as a whole. Um, I think there was 18 were professional academies. Um, there was some local German sides, you know, which is standard protocol. Uh, they want to they want to invite local German sides, of course. Um, but we were the only independent academy outside of Germany. Um, so that was a fantastic achievement, fantastic tournament. Um, yeah, definitely an experience I'll never forget. Of course, that's just one of, in comparison to the experiences that you have been involved in as a result of Round World. Um, that's just one of the early ones. Of course, you were you did get the opportunity to work as part of the Palmeiras coaching staff for the Premier League Cup. Yeah. And I know um, in your blog and on Twitter is something that you talk about. You got the impression you were very impressed with them. What was it that impressed you most and what made it different to other clubs you've worked with in the past? Probably my, my, those five days I was with Palmeiras were the best experience I've had so far. It was incredible. And again, thanks to Round World for contact. Um, what impressed me most about Palmeiras is the, the level of creativity and intensity and talent that they have um, and how they allow their players to flourish. It was just incredible. I think that sometimes these academies can be guilty nowadays of, of, of playing quite a robotic style of football in the sense that, you know, players must play a certain way. You know, it feels like a lot of the time decisions are kind of made for the player. They must do this no matter what. And that can make quite a, a robotic player that isn't necessarily always able to adapt or play with freedom and creativity and and Palmeiras were they were so creative. Um they were they were they were vertical. They liked to hit people, you know, they like to attack early whenever they could. They like to go towards goal. They played with so much intensity off the on and off the ball. So, you know, when they would be off the ball, um, they would press in groups and swarm opponents. And then when they're on it, you know, they're looking towards goal. They're looking how to get towards goal with creativity and, and you know, again, intensity. And it was just an amazing side to watch. And they had so many special talents, so many special individuals that were allowed to flourish and thrive. And um, it was just a joy to work with. You mentioned about England and how they could be robotic. I, I, I'm a firm believer in that football is a lot about cycles and that, uh, certain formations, tactical styles and etc etc. I think it's always moving and I think 
in this country, I think we're a bit too pragmatic personally. Of course, this this is just um, doesn't cover much experience of coaching as I have no experience of coaching. But I do I do get the sense that we are often pragmatic, and we'll see we'll see some countries adopt a certain football and philosophy, and we'll be we'll be more likely to leech off of that philosophy for lack of a better term, and yeah. um, and try and adapt to become like other countries and I think in recent years we haven't seen especially um as an England football team we haven't seen them imprint our own philosophy and become proactive in making other teams react to us I think that doesn't just come as as um a national from the national team from the Southgate side I think it's generally more how football has been in this country the last few years. Of course, a lot of good um, youngsters coming through that um, hopefully would change that. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with having your way of playing and learning from others. You know, I, I do think that sometimes perhaps we can be guilty of trying to copy others rather than believing in our own style. So, for example, you know, Spain, they, they, they're not going to change the way they, they develop players. For example, in, in Spain, they, they develop that kind of player. That's what they know. That's what they, that's what flourishes. Um, and, you know, the English league is famous for being very, very fast, very aggressive, very intense. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I do think that, it's, I do think that they're starting, I do think that we, we're getting better at it. Um, you know, we, we're now getting to a stage where we are. We do have our identity that is starting to sort of, you know, come to the fore in terms of, you know, having producing players that can play with the intensity that you know we're famous for, but are also perhaps learning from other nations as well. And we're also starting to produce more technical players. Um, whether we're producing more creative individuals, I'm not too sure because I don't think the current style of football and cycle of football allows for that. You'll always still have creative players. It's just whether they. They can flourish in those environments, but you know the, the ones that are reaching the top, the likes of Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson Odoi, Phil Foden. You know those are creative individuals that have obviously been allowed to flourish at their respective respective sorry academies inside. So, you know, I do think that the English age groups are getting stronger. Um, but yes, I do believe that in the past, like you said, we have been guilty of perhaps looking admiringly at other nations and how they do it, and maybe trying to copy too much rather than leaving in our style of football, trying to make it work. and um, But now I do think we're getting to a stage of where this current cycle of football, it does go in cycles, like you said. The best teams, you know, it's only getting more intense and more athletic. And that's something that's always suited English teams. So I do think that we're now entering a stage where we are producing players that are the envies. And they always have been. You know, clubs abroad have always admired English players because they can live with that intensity and they live with that speed of the game. Um, you know, that's why German clubs and Dutch clubs, they look towards English players quite a bit, um, you know, because they're very athletic, very intense. So I do think we're now starting to reach a stage where, um, or we already have reached a stage where we are producing players that, of course, can cope with the modern cycle of football, but, you know, technical, technical football, technical excellence is also being appreciated more, arguably, um, certainly by some coaches. Um, and, yes, I do think that, you know, we're starting to get it right. It's definitely the English age group, um, and long may continue. And hopefully, it does have it does have international success, and we see more players come through that they can play in first team football. Of course, you've worked with. Yeah, of course, you've worked with um, 
a lot of players within youth football. Early in your coaching career, you started with a under sevens team, if I'm right, Hint- yeah. Hinton and Finchley Revolution. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Well remembered. <laughs> Working with um kids of that age is there is there a struggle as as a young coach just trying to just trying to build up his um for lack of a better term coaching CV and portfolio. Yeah. Was there a struggle yeah. to f- to find a balance between creating a a good football inside with a clear philosophy and the sensitivity of um of children at that age? Is there was there a struggle between finding a good philosophy and just letting the kids express themselves and have fun? It's difficult, um, especially when it's you know your first role coaching the side as as a, as a young coach myself. Um, it is difficult. Um, what I would say is that it's, it definitely helps provide the, the groundwork and the foundation phases of being a coach. And I would, it's very easy to look. You know, admiringly at other coaches and environments, I think oh, I want to go and do that, and you can rush into that and try to rush for those opportunities. But there's no way that I could be coaching professionals now or academy players or the level of players I do if I didn't get my experience coaching the likes of you know an under sevens Sunday league team. And I don't, I think that's a lesson not just for you know coaches outside professional football clubs. I think coaches. In professional football clubs, should start from the under age groups, like you know the under twelves, the the key stages of, of development. Because you know if you are an outstanding coach, you know the the, the under twelves and, and younger, they're the key stages of development. So you know that's where the, the fantastic coaches should be put towards to to learn themselves, but also help develop players. Um, but you know a lot of people they want to reach and they want to go straight into coaching under 18s or coaching professionals and because of financial reasons, but also Obviously, the acclaim it gets and, and the, the level of work, but coaching that that age group um, from a young age and those age groups definitely helped build me as a coach with um, with the experience and learning and the, the foundation basis as a coach. There's no way that I could have gone straight in and coached 15 year olds. Even you know, I certainly couldn't have gone straight in and coached professionals and academy players. I had to get years of experience to start off with, and and that age is a challenge. You know, it, it, it's a very it's it's a it's a balancing act trying to to get the best out of players because a lot of coaches nowadays they do want their players to play a certain style of football they want their teams to play attractive football um, you can have that kind of coach you can also have the kind of coach that still just cares about winning and doesn't want their players to take risks and it's very difficult to find the balance I do believe I'm I'm very lucky of uh, you know not very lucky but I do believe I've got the balance mostly right perhaps I overdid it a little bit at the early stages of trying to get the players to play a certain style of football, but then I do believe that I always gave them the freedom to do what they wanted to. It's not do what they wanted to, of course not. They had to have structure, but I do believe I've, I've created an environment where players did feel free on a football pitch and free to make their own decisions and free to be creative and whilst encouraging them, you know, to be brave on the ball. Um, and that in turn did mean there was, you know, naturally more playing out from the back um, because, you know, the, the only rule I did put in place was I banned I banned simply hoofing the ball. That was the only thing that I did ban because um, I didn't think, I didn't, I still don't, I don't really know what a six year old can learn from just simply hoofing it. They're always allowed to pass it long. Um, I've always allowed my players to do that. Um, they're more than welcome to do that. Um, there's a huge difference between passing it long and hoofing it. So it is a hard, it is a bigger balancing act, um, especially with the parents, you know, because encourage, allowing your players to be free and creative and 
and express themselves on the ball, it can lead to, you know, obviously when they're six years old, them sometimes overdoing it, uh, losing the ball and getting it wrong. It can lead to you losing games, of course, and it can be hard to convince parents that, no, this is the way to do it. This is this is going to help them in the long run. And eventually they they, they, they saw what you know, we, were, we were gearing towards. So, um, you know, the, the eventually the team became, you know, such a strong side that, you know, they would wipe the floor with most teams because they had incredible talent. That has been allowed. They've been allowed to flourish and um, you know show their creativity. But as they got older, they started to learn the game more. Um, of course, as you get older, you need you do need to become a bit more structured, depending on the right age. But you know, a lot of people do. I I think get the get the eight, the eight um, stage of development wrong. You know, I, I do believe there's certain okay. certain um, factors that you know need to be adhered to at certain ages and certain um, goals that you know you should be. Uh, Working towards certain ages um, and key key aspects of training and development. Yeah, you know, key key phases of development that it comes into play at different ages, and that is a very hard hard thing to get right. And um, of course, um, in my relatively uh, uh, ill-fated spell as a Sunday league footballer, I know that at a young age, obviously, it's minuscule in comparison to where football is, but at at that age, when children are at such a sensitive age of playing football, you, you do get a lot of parents who would say, why isn't my kid playing? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? A lot of them think that they'll send their kids to training and they probably don't think about them more as developing as footballers and as athletes, but more as, as just having fun with their friends. And I think um, yeah. to, for you to take a role at that age group, I think They'll put you in good stride in terms of man management, working with such yeah. young, such a young and group potentially. I think that really does in the stripes, so to speak. And I think I would encourage more coaches really to um to follow your footsteps because a lot of places now, if you if you're applying for someone like Round Rod, they will say, well, where's where's your experience? And I think it's all about building up experience, especially in your profession. One hundred percent. You can't be. I, I. I'll always believe this. You can't be a good coach or become a good coach without experience and learning from others. No one. No one can go straight into coaching. Um, you know, high-level players without having that experience first. I don't believe. Um, of course, it, it can be different from a professional environment. You know, there there are people that will go straight into high-level roles and you know, big age groups. I do. I do. Again, even professional coaches at professional clubs. I would. I would love to see more. You know, start off at the under twelves again. The key, the key ages of development as a player, and 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 get experience, learn how to coach themselves, and and really use their their knowledge and, and ability, um, hopefully, to help again players at the key stages of development, and then you know push on and do the older age groups. But yes, I would encourage you know anyone out there that you know that's looking to be a coach, become a coach. Don't just start. Don't aim to start at the top. Work your way to get there. Get your experience, learn alongside, long, long, learn along the journey, um, because you are going to make mistakes. I still make mistakes, of course. I'm not the complete coach. I'm always learning. Um, you know, I, there's no way I would have been the coach I am today if I had jumped straight into these kind of environments and, and tried to do it straight away. I had to get my experience. I had to learn. I had to make those mistakes. Um, you know, even even some of the silly things and simple, not silly things, but simple things like. Learning how to organise big, large groups of people that I would have to do when I was working at primary schools, you know, organising 30, 30 kids to, you know, even little stuff like getting changed quickly and, 
and listening and behaving and and you know um, structuring sessions and and lessons and you know there's so many different things to learn in terms of because when you're a coach you're you're not it's not just about like I said earlier it's not about your knowledge anymore it's not just about that it's how you it's how you apply your knowledge it's how you are as a leader and you know there, there's so many facets to that so I would encourage anyone out there like you said to to start off smaller, get your experience, and work your way towards what your eventual dream is. You mentioned um, earlier about cycles and football. How important mm. do you feel it is as a coach to be adaptable to different situations and age groups? It, it is very important. Um, to be honest, with Round World, we, we don't have one one single way of playing. Um, you know, we have certain ideologies that we we want to implement, so we want to always encourage creativity, freedom, but we demand intensity, hard work, focus, uh, discipline, and of course, every player is different, and we try to, to provide an environment for every single player to thrive, because you know, we can't have one set way of playing, you know, it's not like we're a Tottenham Hotspur that can have a philosophy that, you know, they, there's a club's philosophy and will hopefully make plays for the first team, for example, or Man City or whoever. You know, we're looking to help develop players for all different kinds of clubs. We're looking to push players into a Wimbledon as well as a Tottenham and a Charlton and even clubs abroad. We had a player this year. One of our players joined Deportivo La Coruña. So we have to, we have to, you know, help develop players that can just quite well rounded, to be honest. Um, that, you know, that, that we get them to thrive in different environments that knows how to, Play of intensity, but also knows how to put their foot on the ball, um, and that is a big challenge. Um, but you know, it's great fun. I love, I love working under under that ideology because you know it gives yourself freedom as a coach, um, rather than just I must coach my players to play this style of football. But it is a challenge, um, and of course, you know, when we we're saying earlier, you know, we, we want players to be creative. Not every player has the capability of being creative, but we do hope that we provide an environment where every player can improve and flourish. So let's say that you know you don't really have the creative the creative gene for want of a better phrase or you know the capability to be creative and show skill on the ball. Well you know we do hope that we can encourage you to be the best you can be and perhaps you can be a you know a fantastic a fantastic role filler as it as it were, you know, a a, a tough tackling defensive midfielder that can be the best. You know, we, we want we, we try to create an environment that allows players to become how the best they can be, and I think it's important to, pre- to preface this with that you know, a success story for us isn't just about pushing players into professional academies. Um, you know, if we can help any player achieve a goal, whether it's getting into their school team or even you know, helping light a fire and a passion to be involved in football coaching themselves as a career or sports journalism, and we can help them along their journey and, and you know, help them with their passion, and that's just as much of a success story as someone that goes on to play professional so it is a challenge but it's incredibly enjoyable I love working under that environment where we give players freedom and you know as I said there's not a one set way of playing that we have to there are certain things we do demand again like we want players to play with intensity focus and and obviously we, we cater for, for groups and individuals and we try to make sure that we provide an environment that, that allows every individual to flourish and, and become the best they can be mentioned about how adaptable players have to be um listening to your podcast the pilot episode with sam cox he he talked a lot about at the 
when he was in the Tottenham Academy, of course, he played with the likes of Harry Kane, Ryan Mason, yep. Tom Cowell, Stephen Corker. Um, and he said a lot, it, what interested me a lot was um, he mentioned Danny Rose about how he was a midfielder for the for the reserves and the under-18s. And then when Harry Redknapp put him in, it was all about him having to adapt to a situation and mm. become... And I got the general consensus that the more well-rounded players would would make it. And of course, um, at Tottenham, uh, I think a lot of a lot of hype was around Marcus Edwards because he was a sort of a nimble player, creative, and the sort of player that fans, as football fans, you look towards the youth academy and you see and you're looking for a special player. But of course, the likes of Oliver Skip, Jaffet Tanganga, that they're a lot more. They're not as express expressive and don't have as much yeah. raw talent in terms of that, but they're a lot more adaptable, which I think personally is the more is a more important aspect when looking at integrating youth players into the first team. Um, what do you, as an academy coach, what do you feel is the biggest misconception in football around academies? Oh well, um, I mean, yes. Yeah. Oh. It's difficult to say, to be honest. I mean, if you're looking at the likes of Marcus Edwards, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult nowadays for players like that to, to make it in England because he is, for want of a better word, a bit of a maverick. He um, He's creative, as you said, but he doesn't really conform to, to, to the structured, disciplined, pragmatic style of footballer that that is um, to be relied upon by managers. You know, those players can produce the moments of magic that they can perhaps also let you down in. Where the game is becoming more and more structured, more and more centered towards you know certain styles of playing and, and philosophies, um, you know if you don't necessarily fit in within that structure and that disciplined style of footballer, it can be difficult for a manager to trust you because um, you know a lot of it nowadays is is about the the philosophy that the coach puts in place, um, the style of football the coach puts in place, and and you know they they look to take away as many tangibles as possible. You know they want it to be very structured. Um, you know how they play and stuff, and having a maverick player like Marcus Edwards, he can struggle. So perhaps that that's a common misconception that you know that um, that there's a lot of those players out there. But as you are seeing, the vast majority that do come into first team football in England are the ones that you know can be adaptable. But you know it's important we all say to players that are looking to make it have obviously a uh, a primary position, but make sure you have a secondary position as well at the bare minimum. Um, because you know, if the manager wants you, you know, use the example of Danny Rose to play midfield, or what if the manager wants you to play, what if you could have your opportunity? The manager needs you to play somewhere else that day, but you, but you can't. You can only play one position. You've only been coached playing one position. You know, it's not going to happen for you. So, so the players that are starting to come, or well, the players that are making it more often, are the ones that are, you know, uh, are disciplined, um, can play within the the current cycle of football. Of course, can be relied upon, can be trusted. Um, but there are still people out there, and still managers and coaches that do love those players like Edwards and want them to thrive and uh, the risk takers. Um, it's getting harder, I think, for those players to have an influence on first team football in the UK. But and I hope that does it isn't. Uh, sorry, I hope that isn't always the case. But um, you know, I'll always want there to be a place in the game for those Mavericks that can you know show their own individual creativity and, and flair. But uh, now, as the game is becoming more towards a disciplined state and, and, and a set way of playing for managers, and it is harder and harder for those players to come through and thrive. Um, I think the common misconception, especially with the younger age group, is that they presume that these academy footballers are 
are far and away better in terms of talent than players on the outside. And the one thing that you certainly realise um, as you work more and more with these players and clubs is, yes, of course they're talented, but the lines are so, so fine. And what these academy players have is that they quite often that it's their focus and drive and determination and intensity in terms of application that is what takes them to the next level and allows them to stay in those environments. And a lot of the time players outside of the environments looking to get in. So you can be you know, often even more talented than players inside those clubs, um, but they don't have the same application and hunger and drive and self-belief. Um, so it's very, very fine line. But I do think that's probably a, mis- a big misconception in terms of you know, the lines are so fine, you, you know, it, it's possible for a lot of players that maybe don't believe it on the outside of those professional academies to get in. They just have to, they have to believe it, they have to apply themselves and work, dedicate themselves to becoming the best they can be and discipline on and off the pitch. And, and that's what the vast majority of the academy players have. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a big misconception probably. I think a big factor of social media in terms of, it's a, as a football fan, if you're looking towards the youth academy, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to watch, like you said, um, you mentioned Marcus Edwards a lot. Someone like him, who, like you said, the Maverick, it's a lot, it's a lot more of a sexy highlights package to watch. A creative player who's, who's got so much flair than the likes of maybe someone like Oliver Skiff, who's not so much. It, it doesn't burst out as in, it doesn't naturally grab your attention because it's a lot more calm, composed, and just a steady development rather than bursting out of nowhere. Um, how big an influence do you feel social media plays in uh, a player's development, both on the pitch and off the pitch? Um, I do believe that, you know, I'd like to think that environments that look after these players can, um, you know, of course, make the influences of social media as redundant as possible, but... I do believe that, and I do believe it's actually a wider society, societal problem, uh, not just football clubs. The influence that social media can have now, you know, I, I do believe that there's a, there's a, a worrying um, trend developing that social media is a big reason for, um, of like, you know, instant success. Um, you know, you, 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 you upload a picture onto Instagram and you can caption it with, you know, like a 15 year old caption it saying something ridiculous like, you know, Working so hard, so my mum never has to earn a, a, you know, never has to work again. It's like, you know, it'll get like a hundred likes or something, and it's like all of a sudden that's now, it doesn't mean anything, you know, that, that's now seen as instant success, you know, instant likes and, and um, you know, instant popularity. And uh, when you haven't actually achieved anything yet, you haven't done anything yet, and that can have an effect on individuals and take the eye off the ball and take the eye off of what's important and what actual success means. You know, luckily, the, the vast majority of people are, are, aren't, aren't silly with regards to that. Um, they, they do appreciate how much work they have to do. And they're very focused to go and do it. But it can have a big effect. Um, you know, I, it is a trend that starts, that is, you know, yeah, it, it can have a big effect. Like, I, I would hope that obviously the vast majority of environment and players themselves, obviously people themselves appreciate that, you know, it, it's, uh, Something they can't put any focus on, and um, they, they, their focus remains on developing as a, as a person and a player. But yeah, of course, it can have, a, have an effect. Um, it already has, of course, like the social media, and um, I sound quite old fashioned here, but uh, you know, even ga- you know, games like PlayStation and Xbox, you're seeing a lot of nowadays young teenagers, young people that um, they lack such 
basic, you know, fundamentals of, you know, coordination and being able to jump and balance and run because when they're young now, rather than going out and running and, you know, exposing themselves and how to do these things and, you know, playing in parks, climbing trees, doing things like that, they're now stuck on the Xbox and PlayStation. So they don't learn how to, how to develop physically. Um, their body doesn't learn how to do these things. So we've seen a lot of 15 year olds now and 14 year olds, et cetera, that lack really basic coordination movements, you know, exercises and balancing and running that they just can't do because they haven't exposed themselves to it. So yeah, I do think that, you know, the likes of social media and, and games and stuff like that and, you know, you know, being able to, to have time to stay in your own room is, uh, it has, it is having a bad effect, but, you know, the ones that do make it in football and in life are the ones that, you know, appreciate how much work they have to put in to their craft and what's really important in life. Um, so, you know, it is having a, a negative effect. Um, this kind of depends on the environment and the individual, how much of an effect it does have. I completely agree. Social media, as good as it is bad in terms of obviously you have access and it's good for keeping up with um in contact with friends and stuff. But I think as well a lot of people, like you said, in terms of looking for likes on Instagram or retweets on Twitter, it's all it's all instant gratification. And I think one thing as well which interested me on uh your podcast with Sam Cox is he said that for a youth player's development, whilst it may not be as aesthetically pleasing I think it's probably better to go to your local non-league side and and watch that game because I think he said you'll learn more from that game than than watching a a ten minute clip of of someone's best bits in the in inverted commas. It's a realistic style of football, you know that that level of football. It's um, that is one big issue with academy football, but it's the difference between academy football and it's very difficult to fix that. But the difference between academy football. And professional football is so, so vast, even at non-league football. Um, and, you know, the vast majority of players aren't going to play in a style of football like Man City. Um, you know, if you are going to become a professional footballer, you're more than likely going to have to become a player that can adapt to different systems and, and play a realistic style of football that's, that's used by the vast majority of teams. So, you know, the, the non-league football, the lower league football, you know, that, that is the, you learn so much from that because it's a more realistic style of football, of course. Now, we all could watch the likes of Man City glaringly, but you know, there's, there's, there's not many teams in the country mm-hmm. that, that can play that style of football. So, you know, are you developed to be, you know, to play just that style of football? Well, uh, when, it, when it comes to crunch time, if you just learn from that style of football, then, you know, and you don't play for that team, then you're not really, you know, you're not really a fit for the vast majority of other teams. So, um, you know, it's important, I think, for, for players to be developed that they're, they're well-rounded, like we said earlier, and can adapt to different systems and styles of football. And, and non-league is a very realistic style of football. Um, because, you know, it's all about winning um, as the first environment is. And winning comes first no matter what. Um, it doesn't matter how you win. And that is the vast majority of teams out there. You know, it's all well and good looking to win with a philosophy, but the main objective of football is to win. And it's okay when you're as good as a Man City or Liverpool to, to play a certain style, no matter what. But most teams out there can't have that set way of play. They just have to be able to adapt to their players and adapt to whatever situation allows them to win. So it's very important for players to learn to learn that. Um, so yeah, completely. Sam, I completely agree with Sam when he said that. 
in terms of well, it's the non-league there's, there's an aspect of survival in terms of not just personal development, but in terms of contracts. I remember the days of Hocker Day, who uh, managed the league and was a fantastic coach. And you said that during his playing days, obviously it's a different time compared to modern football. And he said that each season he'd set a goal as in he'd get a one-year contract and as soon as that's up, he wants a two-year contract. And a lot of that is about survival. And I think that's probably why maybe we're seeing a lot more non-league players making it now because they've got that mentality of, right, I've come so far, but I need to get to the next level in terms of not just making a handful of appearances for a professional club and thinking they've made it. And I think I think maybe that's that's what why we're seeing a lot more non-league players making it to the top is because I think it moulds an attitude where they, they're always hunting for the next stage. And I think to become an elite sportsman, not just in football, in any sport or any profession for that matter, I think you need that drive. And I think non-league provides that. It makes me laugh when I see people. Um, it's very easy to do. I understand it as a fan that isn't involved, but it makes me laugh to, when I see fans that criticise players for being lazy and not caring, not trying hard enough. To, and it's like I guarantee you do not play the level of professional football without being extremely driven, extremely hard working, um, and focused and dedicated to their craft. Um, you know, and, and there's always, even if you're playing for Man City, well, no, even more so when you're playing for Man City. Um, you are always, like you said earlier, you're always fighting for your place. There's always someone that's coming to your position. So it's a constant battle throughout, no matter what. Um, and players always have to do more. And that's why you're seeing a lot more professionals, even at the highest level of the game, that are doing extra work on the outside. You know, people might be surprised to hear that, but you know, you would be surprised how many professionals at the highest level do extra one-to-one training on the outside and extra work outside of their clubs because they have to constantly keep developing and or at least maintaining their levels because they know that if they don't do it, it's going to be someone else that has got that mentality and will come and take their place. So it is a constant battle to to push and to keep your place and to maintain your levels um, throughout all levels of the game. Um, I think that the reason you're seeing more and more non-players make it is because I think clubs are realising that, you know, that um, it, first of all, the level of talent in the UK is, is incredible, you know, that to have as many leagues that is as filled with as, as many talented players as we do is fantastic. Um, you know, there, there's, there's players right now that's in the, that's playing semi-professional that will go on to play in the Premier League. I guarantee you that much. But what's happening is now, um, it's now a, a realistic pathway to first team to professional football and clubs are now looking towards those leagues um, for players. So, you know, that, that you know, players that are playing First team football from as young an age as possible. You know they, they're they're adaptable to obviously playing first team football, and clubs are looking towards those players because they're used to they have the experience of playing first team football when perhaps one of their academy players doesn't. So you are seeing more and more of clubs looking towards those players and walking looking towards those um, clubs for players, um, especially the younger ones. Like I said, because they're playing first team football from a young age, they're proving themselves. They they have the experience of playing first team football, which is is massive. So you are seeing those players um, have more of a role in football, in professional first team football, and getting more of an opportunity, which, which is fantastic. I think um, the level of, of talent in the UK is is so vast, um, and they can't all play in the Premier League. So, so um, you know that is something that the UK is, you know, should be admired for the level of football, the level of talent, and 
and players throughout the country. A small country, um, obviously, bearing in mind you know, the, like, you know, the size of other countries, but to have as many talents as we do, you know, I always say to players, people, you know, you, you just have to go to one power league you know, on, on a Saturday afternoon, and I guarantee you, you'll find at least a few players on different pitches. You're like, well, what player he is? And he's got some talent, hasn't he? Um, and that's just a power league, you know. It, it's not like any other country in the world with regards to that. So, um, no, that, that is, there is talent throughout the league. Um, and those non-league players are getting more of an opportunity nowadays, definitely. You, of course, mentioned players that, that look to get that extra mile in terms of personal development. I know recently you've worked with Stephen Bergvine, the new Tottenham yeah. sign-in. What, what was that like as an experience? Because I know, obviously, you're, you're a Spurs fan like me. I, a lot of a lot of people on social media have seen that, and it, it's really encouraging to see in an age where, like you said, there's a lot of misconceptions about footballers being lazy. Yeah, yeah. What what was that like working with him? Yeah, fantastic. You know, working with with athletes like him, you do realise, you know, you, you realise anyway. But it just further reaffirms just how dedicated these people are at the top of their game, um, and that's why they are where they are. You know, Bergwijn is is where is. Is where he is because of his application and his attitude, and it's not just his talent; it's how hard he's worked, you know, to push the level he has, and he, to continue to push. You know, just speaking to him after the session and during, not during the but after the session, um, you know, you can just see the way he's talking and in his eyes and, and and how hard he's working during the session. It just he's going to achieve his goals no matter what, and no one's going to stand in his way. And um, that is a dedication, an application that only only the finest have and only the best athletes have and it is so needed to reach the level like I said that he has and that other you know incredible athletes have. Um, so no, it was fantastic working with him. Um, I can't profess with coaching yet. Um, you know, the you know, the Round World Worlds we are a group of trainers, so you know, he's, he's had a long time coach called Ronnie who's who we now work with, of course, is our strength and conditioning coach. He's trained Bergwijn for a while. So when Bergwijn joined Spurs, obviously put two, two together, one he flew over and trained him. Um, we will coach him on the pitch. It would have happened by now, but obviously the, the coronavirus has, has put a delay to that. But, um, you know, just working with him, um, you know, you, it just further reaffirms how much dedication and, and drive people like him have to reach the level they have and, and continue to work. And, you know, um, for him to do extra work, you know, it just shows, you know, how much work he has done to get to level he has, and how much work he continues to do. You mentioned a lot, a lot about the drive and the willingness to to get better and better and reach new levels. What do you feel are your greatest attributes in terms of what's got you here today and what will get you to the next step in your career? Um, one hundred percent, my my drive and self belief. But also humbleness. Um, I do have an ego, um, and I think it's really important to, mm-hmm. to the of your profession to have an ego. But an ego can be looked at in a few ways. Um, you know, I, I'm certainly not. I'm not certainly not egotistical in the sense that I, I, I won't learn from others. That is, that is, that is, that is. That is uh, yeah. I do have. I've always been willing and humble enough to learn from others, and I certainly wouldn't be at the level I am now if I wasn't willing to learn from others. I'm constantly wanting to learn from others and, and um, get experience. So, yeah, it's my drive and hard work you know, that's taken me here. Um, you know, my my willingness to see the long-term goal. Um, a lot of people, they want to make money straight away. They want to have 
instant success and to reach the top of the game, it's a long, hard slug. Um, you're going to have times when it doesn't work out. You're going to have rejection. You're going to have days when it when it doesn't go well. Um, and you know, no, you know, it's going to be, you know, um, you know, you might have days times where you have to to go and get experience and work for free and just to just learn and, and and you know broaden your knowledge and broaden your experience and those are all things I've been willing to do. But it's, it's my drive and belief that's taken me to where I am, and that's what will take me to where I want to go. You know, that ego. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing like you said um, that's another misconception I think in football and not just in football I think in in modern society is ego is yeah. such a it's such a broad term people look at it as in oh they're they're, they're stuck up then you think of themselves as, I think that's a lot of the misconceptions that come with an ego but you see see the likes of even the likes of Roy Hodgson he's not not necessarily a fashionable manager and I think there's a, a lot there's a general consensus around the Premier League that he's a very humble, nice, caring man, and and he he'll have an ego. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think I think I think there's a difference between having confidence in your ability and an overconfidence in in you as a person, and not just your ability, but in terms of your stature in society. No one can reach the top of their profession without having complete belief in who they are and what they do. But alongside that, if you want to reach the top of your profession, you do have to, as well as having that complete belief in yourself, also be willing to learn from others and humble enough to learn from others. You know, it can't just be my way no matter what. You do have to learn from others and be willing to learn from others and, you know, and always looking to improve and, Again, you can't reach the top of your profession without having the ego of you, you know, having self-belief, as long as you are willing to learn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think there's a fine line between both, and yeah, I don't think I don't think there's necessarily a problem. If I may, you've you've had a lot of success in your time at Round World. If you could, if you could go back and to your first day as a as a coach at Round World, what is one piece of professional advice you'd give yourself and what is one piece of life advice that you could give yourself? Um, to be honest, I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't change anything because everything that's happened so far along the journey has led me to this point which I'm very, very happy with and and that is including the mistakes. Um, you know, those are the mistakes I've learned from and it has, has made me a better coach. Um, to give us, if I would give myself advice is to, it would be to just keep going as you are, keep believing. Um, you know, keep looking towards a long-term goal because that's what I've always done. Um, and um, maybe I would maybe say, I would maybe say don't beat yourself up as much over the mistakes. But then again, I probably wouldn't even say that because, you know, that, that, that you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, well, of course there's nothing wrong with having pride in your work. And when it doesn't go wrong, doesn't go well, then, you know, being disappointed in yourself. And that's, that's you know, that, that, that hurt is a lot of the time what made me learn and made me insistent on doing better. Um, having that horrible feeling of, oh, I didn't quite go well that day and that wasn't good enough and what do I need to do better? If I didn't care, then, you know, I might not have that. Um, so I honestly wouldn't change a thing because, you know, everything that's happened so far has led me to this stage, um, including the mistakes and you have to be willing to make mistakes. Um, and, you know, without those mistakes, I wouldn't be where I am today. And, I'm going to make a million more mistakes along the journey, um, but you know I'm, I'm on my way towards where I want to be. And you know I don't set end goals because I'm always looking to 
to achieve more. There's not one set thing that I want to accomplish. I just want to keep going and being the best I can be and doing new projects and doing the best I can. Um, you know, it's very, I don't, I don't believe that, you know, in being successful in the sense that, you know, because I think that successful, you sort of like, it can, it can lead you to, to thinking, oh, well, I've done what I want to do now. And I don't think I'll ever reach that stage. I think I'll be, I think when I get to 80 years old, I'll still have reason to do the, the things I want to achieve. Um, so I don't think I'll ever regard myself as successful, um, successful at certain projects, but um, I'm always going to keep pushing. And um, so I don't think I'll change anything, to be honest. Of course, success is such a it's such a subjective term. Many people see yeah. it as the amount of cards or the amount of money you have, or Instagram likes or social gratitude. But I'm, I'll, never, I'll never be satisfied with what I do. I'll always be looking to do more and accomplish more. Um, so I'll never regard myself as okay. I've been successful now, and now I'm done. Now I just sit back and relax. I don't think I'll ever do that. It's not in my nature. Um, I'll always, I think I'll just. I'll always be working until I'm 80 years old, always looking for new things to, to accomplish and to achieve. So, yeah, there's, there's many different ways you can look at it, like you said. I think, um, yeah, I think that's something that's got you to where it is today. And I think you're, you're a very young coach in a unique situation in terms of working for the Independent Academy. And I think that's something that will stand out and it will stand you in a good stead for the future. But um, <laughs> that's, that's going to wrap up uh, the Talking Balls podcast for this week. Thank you so much, Harry, for um for joining me. I know you're a very busy man. Got a, got your fingers in a lot of different footballing pies. So uh, I really, yeah. <laughs> I really do appreciate your time. Um, yeah, absolute for, pleasure. Thank you very much. Had a good time. For those for those wanting to find out a bit more about you, where where can they get in contact or or keep track of your work? Yeah, um, my my DMs are always open. So if people want to ask any questions, they're always welcome to. Um, so that's my Twitter, which is I always forget it. <laughs> HB underscore head coach. Um, so you know the, you can follow me there, um, and, and again feel free to get in touch and ask questions about my journey and, and anything. Um, if you want to see a bit more of the work that we do, um, we have a few different pages. So you know if you want to see the professionals we work with, uh, you know, that's on the Royals underscore Round World on Instagram and the Round World page itself. Um, it works with you know the, the Independent Academy. That's Round World underscore FA. So, um, you know, those are different platforms where you can have a look at the work we do. And again, feel free to ask questions, get involved. We're always happy to, to help anyone looking to, to, to get involved in the world of football. So, um, I'll leave some links in the description of the podcast for those who uh, want to get in touch with you. Uh, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, mate. I had a great time. Thank you for listening to the Talking Bulls podcast. If you've enjoyed this content, be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes, on Spotify or on SoundCloud. For more content such as this, be sure to head over to my YouTube channel, Luke Woodley Marshall. So that's Luke, W-O-O-D-L-E-Y-M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L.